top three drug approvals of 2015. This is Industry Focus. Welcome to Industry Focus, everyone. Healthcare Edition. I'm your host, Christine Hargis. I've got Todd Campbell on Skype. Hi, Todd. Hi, how are you? How is your turkey day? Great. I'm still full, still working through leftovers. That is quite literally what I will do as soon as we finish taping this show is go eat some more leftovers. How was yours? Fantastic. Did you have a good one? Yeah, it was good. I, I think I'm done, though. I, I, I could go another month without some turkey, I think. Oh, no way. It's my absolute favorite is Thanksgiving food. I'll, I'll eat it until it runs out. <laughs> So as I kick the show off with, we are talking about the top three drug approvals of 2015. But it's kind of hard to make the statement of top three. I mean, that depends on how you measure it, right? So are we talking significance in the indication or biggest needle mover for the company? I mean, you could say highest peak sales, biggest patient population. There are a million ways that you could probably answer, well, what does top mean? So for now, we're just going to call these some of our favorites. Uh, for those of you who follow the industry, let me pose a challenge to you. Go ahead and take a guess at what three drugs you think we're going to talk about. Go ahead and hit pause if you need to. Um, probably not if you're driving. Don't be playing with your phone while you're doing that. But uh, I'll give you a hint. So two of the three drugs were recently approved. I'm talking like mid to late November here. And the third is actually two drugs that make up a new class. If you can guess any of them correctly, honor system here, and you want to brag a little bit, hit us up, industryfocus at fool.com. We'd love to clap for you over here. So meanwhile, before we start digging in, I just want to put it out there that The Motley Fool is hiring interns for summer 2016. So our application is officially live. You can find it at careers.fool.com. We're hiring interns in international, investing, software, and most exciting of all, editorial, which, of course, is with us, your Fool.com team. So I strongly encourage anyone interested to check it out, mention how much you love our podcast, and maybe we'll see you here in Alexandria this summer. Okay, so let's kick it off. Uh, We'll start with the Double Trouble summer approval of two drugs marking a new class of cholesterol treatment. Todd? Boy, I tell you, narrowing this list down to just you know, a few that we can talk about in the time that we have was tough because there are a lot of good drugs. I'm sure that when people were thinking of what drugs we would discuss, I'm sure a lot a lot of people would be disappointed. Why didn't you make my drug? But, you know, that being said, we had to make some judgment calls. And um, the first one, as you mentioned, uh, that I think is is a needle mover and a game potential game changer is the approval of two uh, brand new cholesterol busting drugs, um, Santa Fe and Regeneron, one approval for their drug Proluent uh, back in July, and Amgen, one approval for their uh, cholesterol fighting drug uh, a month later, and that drug is named Repatha. Right. And these two really just marked a whole new wave of how we look at cholesterol treatments. I mean, people have been taking drugs called statins forever. I mean, maybe not actually forever, but for years. I mean, 25 million or so Americans use statins. And meanwhile, 76 million Americans have elevated bad cholesterol. So this is a huge, huge market. And so to have two drugs that target this problem in a different way could really be a game changer for a lot of people. Oh, big time. You know, you've got 600,000 people a year dying from heart disease. It's a major issue. Um, You've got, like, as you mentioned, 76 million people uh, with elevated cholesterol levels. And while, you know, these new drugs have not been proven to actually 
reduce or eliminate um, the risk of a heart attack, a stroke, or you know, improve mortality for the condition. It's been generally thought that if you can lower cholesterol, then you will lower the risk of these events happening. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that that's one of the reasons the statins have become so widely used. I mean, this is, it's the most prescribed drug uh, out there. And, you know, as a result, you know, the cholesterol um, lowering statins were some of the best selling drugs over the last 30 years. I think the first one came on the market in the 80s. Um, by the mid 90s, these were billion dollar, this was a billion dollar category. In the 2000s, Lipitor changed the entire paradigm of what, what people spend on drugs um, with, with a Lipitor that was bringing in $13 billion a year in sales. Now, I'm not saying that these drugs will get to that level, but you know, the ability to lower cholesterol by an additional 60% beyond what statins do, that's arguably pretty darn game changing. Yeah, it's really interesting when you dig into how exactly these drugs work. So they're called PCSK9 inhibitors, by the way. That's the class name. So basically, PCSK9 is a protein that destroys bad cholesterol receptors in the liver. So if you limit it, then you get more cholesterol being cleared from the bloodstream. And so this is a totally different mechanism than statins, which reduce cholesterol production. So the thinking here is you use both of them, and you're kind of coming at the issue from both sides of it. And it's worked really well so far in trials. Yeah, I mean, lowering cholesterol again by 60% uh, when used alongside maximum statin therapy um, could be, it's, it's incredibly significant to make a difference for thousands and thousands of patients worldwide every year. Um, you know, there's, there's some challenges, obviously, uh, as far as pricing is concerned, because these are not cheap drugs. Um, and of course, this affects millions of people. So, you know, figuring out how to pay for it, who should actually get the drugs, who shouldn't, all of that is going to have to be watched very closely over the course of the next year. Um, but without a doubt, this is this is a pretty important uh, uh, set of approvals. One thing to note is that this initial approval is limited to just patients that have suffered a cardiac event or who suffer from high cholesterol that's caused by genetic mutations. So when we talk about how big this market could be, it really depends pretty heavily on label expansion to more people. But that's uh, a separate issue. Um, but I, you mentioned the payer situation, and that is Something that I think is really important to talk about with every new drug that hits the market. We got a really interesting email this past week from Caesar Pollerm. Thank you for reaching out. Um, he made some really interesting points about payer reimbursement. And he was talking specifically about the diabetes space and Dexcom, which we've covered previously on the show. But this is an issue that's relevant in every indication. I mean, your drug could be the best in the world, but if nobody will pay for it, it's not going to go very far. So that's when you have to start looking at pricing for these drugs. I mean, they're treatments that you will take for the rest of your life. It's not a one and done kind of thing. And so if you're looking at a list price of about $14,000 a year, that's huge when you put it across how big the market is and also that each of these people would be taking it year in and year out. Yeah, even with limit the, the you know, Express Scripts, which is a pharmacy benefit manager that basically runs drug programs for other insurance companies and, and self-insured employers. Um, you know, they, they're putting in all sorts of different policies trying to rein in how many people are going to get access to this drug right away uh, as in a bid basically to try and, you know, temper how much money is going to have to be spent on these drugs over the course of the next year. But even with those 
you know, discounts that it's getting and, and by, you know, requiring pre-authorization, only limiting the use uh, in certain patient populations, they still think that the, their clients are going to end up paying $750 million on these two drugs uh, alone next year. And, you know, Express Scripts, while it's the biggest out there, only covers 8% of the population. So it's likely that these are going to be billion-dollar drugs in spite of all of these actions to try and rein in the use of them. Um, it's something that, that, that is, like you said, it, the payer issue is an important issue. And it's something that we have to spend some, some solid time as investors thinking about because it really could impact what the peak sales potential is for a drug if it's not getting used. Indeed, yeah. And, and that is where you have to keep an eye on your PBMs, your pharmacy benefits managers. Um, so Express Scripts is paying for both of these drugs, both Preluent and Repatha. Interestingly, though, CVS, which is another major PBM, other than just being the retail pharmacy that we all know of, uh, they linked a deal uh, with Amgen for Repatha, which presumably carries a pretty heavy discount. I, I don't know exactly what that number is. I don't think it's a number that's out there. But CVS claims that Repatha and Preluent are therapeutically equivalent, meaning that they're just as effective. And so it came down to Amgen offering a bigger discount. So that will be an interesting space to monitor. I mean, I, I totally understand why Express Scripts chose not to choose one over the other, especially after what happened when they chose one hepatitis C drug over another, and it turned out to be the worst of the worst option. Um, but that's kind of a, a tangent story right there. But it's definitely worth noting that the payer landscape is something to keep an eye out for and to monitor exactly what's going to happen with this new class of cholesterol treatment. Um, moving on, so our second drug that we wanted to talk about was just approved in mid-November, November 13th. This is an AstraZeneca drug called Tegriso. Tegriso is an interesting and potentially very important drug because it does something uh, or it addresses something that hasn't been adequately addressed uh, before. And that's a specific mutation that occurs um, in certain lung cancer patients that basically makes it so that current medicines that are available for them to use no longer work. So what specifically we're talking about is we're talking about lung cancer patients that have uh, that are EGFR positive. Uh, EGFR basically is involved in cell replication and survival. So by inhibiting EGFR, uh, existing medications have done a pretty good job in um, I guess, slowing the pace of disease progression. However, when that dr those drugs never, no longer work anymore, um, the prognosis gets much worse for patients and there are far fewer treatment options. And overwhelmingly, the reason behind uh, that disease progression is because of another mutation that ends up developing uh, that becomes resistant to them. And that mutation is the T7090M. Exactly. Yeah. And it, as you mentioned, the, the problem really is that it, uh, that patients will progress. I mean, the this drug is a uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitor. So I'll just call that a TKI drug. And this is a pretty a relatively common kind of drug. But the problem, again, is this resistance. So basically what we're seeing with Tegriso is that it's targeting the exact mutation that is responsible for most cases of resistance. 
And in trials, it shrank tumors in more than half of patients who had progressed on after other treatment with other of these TKIs. Um, medium response lasted over a year. That's that's pretty durable. Um, and you can tell that the FDA was also impressed. They approved the drug three months earlier than expected. Uh, one of the things that I, I really kind of struggled with in researching this was figuring out just how many patients this could possibly affect. And when you start to dig into the numbers, I just think it's it makes it really clear just how difficult it is to put a specific number on a patient population pool, which makes you want to take peak sales estimates with a grain of salt. But like, let, let's take a look at this for, for a quick minute. So bear with me here. So the American Cancer Society estimates that about 221,000 new patients will be diagnosed with lung cancer in the coming year. 85% of those are non-small cell lung cancer. EGFR rates vary from country to country, but in the U.S., at least, uh, it's estimated to be around 10%. So multiply again by 10%. Of those patients, a majority progress. Again, hard to pin down an exact number on that. But even if we just call it, say, 60%, so we multiply by 0.6. And apparently, the T790 mutation, the one that Tegrosso targets, is found in two-thirds of these patients. So multiply that all together, and you get uh, somewhere around 7,500 or so patients in the U.S. every year. Now, any one of those numbers could be off by a little bit and throw the whole calculation off. And so I am by no means stating the 7,500 definitively. But that's the thing is nobody has a definitive number out there. So, I mean, it's all you can do to try to dig in and and extract one. But in the end, it's pretty darn hard. And and that's why you do see peak sales estimates all over the place. Um, The one that I'm going to stick with is Astros, which is $3 billion in annual sales. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that investors, like you said, you need to take these things with a grain of salt. Uh, studies have been done done on peak sales estimates that show that the vast majority of those estimates are way off. So you know, I think you kind of have to do your own diligence to just recognize that. Okay, it, could this be an important drug? Does it address a patient population that needs it? Um, is it priced at a point where people will be able to use it and pay for it? Um, and when it comes to those kind of categories that I look at this drug, I say, yeah, this could be a significant player. This could be a blockbuster drug because, you know, the five-year survival rate um, is sadly for the for you know, lung cancer patients still around 20%. So there's a massive unmet need for new therapies that, that can attack and handle this disease. And, you know, even if we adjust your numbers by a little bit on either side, you're still talking about thousands of patients. So I think it's an important drug. Um, it seems to work very well. It could become standard of care. And if it does, then I think you're talking about, you know, a billion dollar plus run rate. Yeah, it goes without saying that these kind of developments are awesome for patients. And, and that is what matters most. Um, it's just when you try to stand back as an investor and take a look at all the numbers, that's when it gets a little bit murkier. Uh, one thing that did uh, shine a little bit more of a light on the competitive landscape. Uh, so there's a, a competing, potentially competing drug that was being developed by a company called Clovis. And I think people were a little bit doubtful of AstraZeneca's estimate of $3 billion in annual sales for Tegrisa or Tegrisa Tegrisa because of this Clovis drug, which was supposed to be approved in March of 2016. But right after Tegrisa got its approval, the FDA asked Clovis for basically more information about their drug, which that doesn't sound too terrible. 
But it, it was quite a setback. Basically, the application that Clovis submitted had data that wasn't quite mature. So as time went on, not as many patients as expected went from unconfirmed to confirmed responses. So whereas it looked by all means in the immature data that Clovis had a drug that was about equivalent in efficacy to uh, Astra's, Basically, the response rate was cut in half when you actually started getting confirmed responses coming in. So at best, approval is going to be delayed a couple of months for Clovis. And at worst, the FDA will reject it entirely since there's already a better drug, arguably, on the market for the same exact indication. Uh, Clovis's stock, for the record, shed about 75% of its value just over the next couple of days after that announcement. So really devastating news for shareholders in that company. But good news for Tegrisso. Um, all right, so our last drug that we wanted to talk about today is called Emplicity, and it is developed by Bristol Myers and Abby, and that was just approved a few days ago, November thirtieth. Yeah, you know, Emplicity is important because again, if you look at indication, is there a need? There is. Emplicity uh, treats multiple myeloma. And it's been approved for use alongside two very commonly used therapies for multi-myeloma, dexamethasone and uh, Revlimid. And because it's being approved as an adjunct therapy, and it's being approved as an adjunct therapy to these widely used drugs, there's a very good chance, in my view, that it becomes part of the standard of care in the second uh, and definitely in the third line treatment. Um, for patients. And since we're talking about 28,000 or so, I think patients or 26,000 patients that get diagnosed with with multiple myeloma every year, um, a lot of whom will respond, who won't respond, will have to get retreated. Um, I think that this, again, is going to be a very important drug because it put up very solid efficacy during trials. Yeah, this is a really devastating disease. About 11,000 people die from it every year. And so to get drugs that work better and better is a fantastic thing. Um, And it's a huge market, too. I mean, the multiple myeloma market is expected to rise in value from $8.9 billion in 2014 to just over $22 billion by 2023. Um, Revlimid is a huge part of that. That's a cell gene drug. Uh, Sales should top about $5.6 billion this year. and you do, you're going to see Revlimid continue to be used, especially because Emplicity is being used alongside it. Um, just to dig into a couple of the numbers from the trials, 78.5% of patients taking the Emplicity combination therapy, meaning alongside DEXA and Revlimid, saw complete or partial tumor shrinkage, which was better than the 65.5% reported in just the DEXA and Revlimid arm. So clearly, this is a statistically significant uh, improvement. Yeah, and you've got almost a five-month advantage in progression-free survival as well by taking the, the adding that third drug to this cocktail. You know, Revlimid is the most widely used in second-line therapy. Uh, it won approval for first-line therapy early this year. It's getting more widely used there. Theoretically, there could be label expansion opportunities that would move this combination into the first-line therapy. There could be use of it off-label in the first line. We don't know how that's going to shake out. But as you mentioned, it's a huge marketplace. I mean, you've got Revlimid at 5.6 billion in sales. You've got Velcade, which is also another widely used drug, 
in the first and second line uh, of treating this disease. That's a $3 billion a year drug. You got Pomelis, which is a third line drug also made by Celgene. That's uh, selling at a billion dollar place a year. Um, it's really hard for me to look at this, um, the numbers for progression-free survival and tumor shrinkage and not think that doctors are going to want to use this as standard of care. And then, of course, it just comes down to what we talked about before, which is will payers pay for it? Indeed. Yeah, I mean, this is not a cheap drug. It's going to be $10,000 a month versus as compared to Revlimid's 14000 and Velcade's 9000 And it's a, a me too. You know, you're, you're using it alongside the current therapy. So it's just making things even more expensive. Um, talking about numbers, if you're curious about what the impact could be on the companies that developed this drug, Bristol in the United States will get 70% of the profit from Implicity. AbbVie will get the other 30%. XUS, it looks like Bristol is going to pay AbbVie a royalty. So this is definitely more of a needle mover for Bristol than for AbbVie. Absolutely agree. Yeah. So as Todd mentioned earlier, we could extend this conversation to include so many more drugs. There are a ton that would make the cut. I mean, this has been a truly tremendous year for innovation in the pharmaceutical and biotechnology sectors. Of course, 2015 isn't even over yet. There are some interesting PDUFA dates coming up just even before the end of the year. Um, I know for one, Biomarin has a December 27th date for Drisaspersin, which is a treatment for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And this is a really heavily watched space with some fierce competition going on between Biomarin and Sarepta. But that's a story for another episode. For now, thanks so much for listening in with us today. And we'll be back next week. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 